Welcome to Design Meets Business, a show where design leaders talk about practical ways to quantify design, about making our work more transparent, and about how designers can make a bigger impact in their organization. I'm your host, Christian Vasile. And before we begin, I'd like to thank you for tuning in today. On this episode, I'm talking to Roger Rohatki, Global Head of Design at BP. It's such an easy conversation to get pulled in because he's a really good storyteller. We're talking about his experience as a design leader in a Titanic company, about the value frameworks his team is using to quantify design, and about building trust with your stakeholders. This is a big episode, so settle in and enjoy. Roger, welcome to Design Miss Business. I am really excited to have you. I can't wait for a conversation today. I can tell you I haven't slept much last night. That's just how much I'm looking forward to this. <laughs> You've uh, got so much experience in design, culminating with you know, this role that you're having right now as a global head of design at BP, where I know you're doing some great work. We've talked about this um, a couple of weeks ago. I talked about how uh, how you're trying to put your teams at that intersection of design and business, uh, talked about value frameworks. So we're going to be talking about all of that today. But before we go into that, I'm going to throw you a curveball now. <laughs> Please tell us about your previous life in Hollywood. <laughs> I just got to know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, thank you so much, Christian. First of all, I just want to thank you for inviting me to be a guest on the, on this show. It's a real honor to be with you. Yeah. So look, I, I think if I go back to those days, there was this passion in me. Uh, well, it really came from when I was a kid, right? Um, you know, I think I, I always inspired to be the one thing that I probably couldn't be, which was a Jedi Knight and uh, hopefully <laughs> uh, <laughs> use the force one day. Uh, and film captured me at a very young age and uh, carried me all the way through. I ended up oddly having a dream. I woke up and it was an idea for a script. This is the weirdest thing, but I wrote this script, ended up producing a film out of that script. And yeah, that film ended up winning an international film festival award and a myriad of other things. And it kind of shifted my life in an amazing way. And it all came from kind of that, that childhood passion and, and uh, wonder that you get from the movies and all of that. So. Right. But you did all of that at the time when you were also designing, right? You were already working as a designer. Oh yeah, yeah. So I've been in the design space or doing different types of design for the last 25 years. So uh, it's always been part of what I've done even into college. So that was just an extension of it. I felt the, the biggest thing for me was how do you, how can we bring our designs or how can we bring these experiences to life and these stories to life? And one amazing medium to do that is is film. Yeah, of course. So how did you find your design career helping you doing that? Or maybe maybe writing scripts and being in the movie industry in a way helped you in your design career. Was there any patterns that you've noticed there? Yeah, well, I think, yeah, it's interesting you say that. In my past years, um, you know, in B2B, B2C, B2B2C, agency side, brand side, from designing at, you know, startups to, you know, leading design at large companies, I found including television and film and all these other mediums, they all had the same challenge. And that's how we reach people, right? And how do you reach people who have real heartbeats and real needs on the other ends of all these digital devices and screens, big screens, silver right. screens even? And so I found that when you're designing, it's really about a story, right? No matter what, it's about connecting with people. It's about engaging people and helping them elevate that experience of whatever they're engaging with. And 
it's the same principles many ways that we have with film that can translate to design and user experience and vice versa. And you've seen that probably evident in some of the ways that even Airbnb talks about it. I think if you go back to some of the early videos and things about their uh, organization, they use the principles of Disney. And I think it was Snow White to, to, um, to storyboard out what a great experience would be with their customers, right? And interacting. Yeah. And it's the same thing in film. You're storyboarding and telling that story to bring people along a journey, to bring that story to life and to help them experience something or sometimes even carry a message across. And, and I think the same thing is in business. And I think the same thing is in design. Yeah. Well, uh, this reminds me of, well, Disney. Disney is such a great example of design designing for humans. And, and I'm not necessarily talking about Disney, the movies, I'm talking more so about the rest of the business that they've created off the back of that, whether it's the parks and everything else. If you go there, you'll see every little detail is just designed to perfection, to delight people. And I find that to be such an interesting proof of the power of design, how design is more so a business function than anything else. And at the end of the day, that's what I brought to you on the show for, to discuss about that and to talk about how design is that function of a business that can, you know, drive change and innovation and, and all that good stuff that, uh, you know, that we're here to talk about. So throughout your career, a bit of creative design here and there, and then you started in agencies and you, it became a bit more serious. Then you did some movies, worked in Hollywood. And how have you seen that transition throughout all of these years of what the role of a designer used to be 25 years ago versus what it is today? Yeah, that's a great question. And honestly, a lot of my career has been, I don't know, somewhat probably out of survival or shifting with the times, um, seeing things evolve. Um, if you go back to those days, those early days that even I got started in it, it was this, there was this you know, passion and uh, wonderment, if you will, of how to illustrate and bring things to life. But back then we began using digital tools, the early days of Adobe, way before Creative Suite and all that. And, right. um, and some of these other tools. And I began to figure out like, how do we, you know, how, how, how can we create ways to enhance messages for nonprofit orgs? How do we create ways to bring things to life through through design? A lot of that was in print, right? Print media, yeah. print flyers. Um, that's how you got the message out years ago. And then it evolved obviously to web. And so web was kind of the big transition there. I think early on, a lot of people were really gravitating toward that. And, and there was this really interesting time period where web was just prints online almost. And then yeah. there was this shift to uh, fl flash and motion. And for a time, as weird as it was, uh, the industry was getting into this place where we were starting to do flash websites, so like that. So I'll just tell you a funny story. So I, well, at least I thought it was funny, but maybe not <laughs> then at the time. But when I, I remember, um, wanting to do this flash website and this is in the 90s and it, it was i had this idea it was going to you 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 open it up and it just it you know transforms like a transformer and opens up and has this experience where you would click and it would retransform and reopen back up again for the next page and it, all this stuff right and uh it was more about this theatrical feel than it was actually about a user experience and so we did we created it uh, it took forever it seemed like and we launched it it was like more money than i've ever seen anybody invest in a website at the time. And it was incredible, right? It went from like the basic GeoCity pages and all those different things that people were doing <laughs> to this 
it animated enhanced experience. But the big challenge was is back then in the United States, we were just transitioning from dial up to broadband and stuff. So it took about 15 minutes. Some people could get six minutes, but right. 15 minutes to load the site. <laughs> so, so, so we had to put up splash pages. This is early, early days of user experience. We were like, okay, no one can actually see the site. So they're going to sit there for a while, but they know, we know that they probably want to, cause it's so freaking cool, but yeah. we had to put up a, a, a splash page that said, please wait, you know, um, it's going to take six to you know 15 minutes. Don't go anywhere or grab a coffee. And they had this loading bar. It was, it was terrible. And even when they got in, it was amazing. It opened up, did all this stuff. But then if you click to another page, it certainly would transform and do all this stuff, but it could take a while for it to transform, get to the next page. So anyway, so in the event of, early days of, of flash and all that, I realized early on that user experience clearly was going to be, uh, and I didn't even know, it wasn't even really called that, but you know, how people experience what you're designing uh, was going to be something that I needed to focus on more and more and more. And that just kind of came to be a theme throughout my career. Yeah. It would be unheard of today to ask someone to wait more than a couple of seconds for anything to load. This is just really interesting how it has evolved. And I, yeah, I remember when it used to take minutes to just connect to the internet and you were hear the noises and all of that. That's uh, kind of a long way. So, you know, one yeah. thing that I'm noticing, yeah, go ahead. Oh, I was gonna say, yeah, I mean, I think it was in everything, like even in 3D, right? So early on, I remember that I was starting to create commercials and we were putting these on, I don't know, MTV and different sports television networks and Nickelodeon, different things like that in, in the US. And we thought, well, I thought, well, hey, hey, well, why don't we just get into this 3D thing, right? This is all kind of new and stuff. And so um, I didn't realize it would take 15 to potentially 30 hours to render one second <laughs> one or two seconds of, right. of a 30 second, a 30 second commercial or a 15 second commercial. So I missed the deadline. I, I, I missed the deadline getting it into the networks because, um, <laughs> because it was rendering still and I couldn't get it out of render mode. So, uh, we, you know, you, we learned a lot back then. So things just yeah. took forever and to get what we, I don't people, I don't think people, I don't think designers and people realize the stuff that we're doing now, the stuff that we have on mobile phones, the stuff that we have like in the palm of our hand used to take like eons for it to be produced, but also for people to actually consume it, you know? Yeah, for sure. I'm noticing one pattern here. Whenever you talk about contributing to all these projects, you're really excited, passionate about it. And in my mind, when someone is so passionate about something, they obviously want to be able to do that for as long as possible. So I didn't know we were going to take this conversation here. It, it was something that I, I wanted to ask towards the end, but let's start with that. I, I think a lot of designers start out like you. They become really passionate about what they're doing. They become really good at what they're doing. And then sooner or later, they're going to have to make that decision of whether they want to keep staying as individual contributors or move into management. And very rarely is that chance of doing it as a hybrid role. It's either or in most of the places nowadays. So considering you're so passionate about that idea of contributing and creating all of these projects, how come you've ended up on a management path? Yeah, you know, that's a great question. And actually, my career and journey took a, an interesting turn early on, I, I think, because when I was starting my path in design or just that you know, you know, endeavor into figuring out what design was and how to do it. 
uh, that I knew that what I was trying to achieve. So I remember designing one of the first things I was trying to design for were flyers to get people to come to an event, right? Which was a, like a positive rave kind of thing back in the day, right? Where people even had those, right? It was music and cool things, right? And we were building up to, um, uh, to like these events where people would come. And so we had to create these flyers. I want to create these flyers and different ways to get people's attention, right? And we'd pass these out. And I went from like just 100 flyers to to 200 flyers to, you know, to, to then one of the five, by the time, you know, a couple of years later is about 30,000 flyers. Right. And, um, and, and now I was trying to get people to come to a stadium for it. Right. And what, what I realized there was that when I was young, I mean, it was like, gosh, I had to have been about, I don't know, 20 something, like very early twenties, maybe 21, something like that. I knew that I needed to get on television. So I, I was talking on TV. Some people were giving me airtime. I knew I wanted to put commercials on TV. I knew that to do a stadium event somehow, and I was in college. So I, I actually had this professor. Uh, let me pause here for a second and just tell you this. So this professor, there was a class I had in college that was called uh, media management. And I took it as a younger classman but it was an upper class, uh, you know, class, right? You're supposed to take it much later in, in, in school, but I decided to jump into there. I was quite bored with your traditional classes. So I wanted something a lot more interesting. And so I did. And the professor was very interesting. He looked at the whole entire class and it was quite a bit of people in this class. And he said, what is your dream? And everybody just kind of sat back and said, wait, what? What is your dream? And that was the question. And so everybody kind of sat there for a little bit, wrote down some ideas. Uh, I can't remember if we came back the next day or, or the next class, but at some point we said to him what our, what our dream was, each one of us. And his, his direction then was do it. And he made us pick one of those things and actually create it, figure out how to do it. And so one of mine was to create this radio station type thing, right? And so I had to know every detail possible. And this is the business and design side of things, right? You have an idea, uh, but then I had to figure out practically how to make it happen. If we pull this thread a little bit, I'll, I'll it'll come to the exact answer, hopefully that you were, you were asking, but, but what, what does that mean? So I had to know everything that I was going to spend on the music rights, the details behind it. But if I was going to run a radio station, you know, how much I was going to spend on the cleaning products for the bathrooms, as much as I was going to spend on those rights for those songs and how I was going to work with artists and how I was going to have talent on air and everything you can imagine, show scripts and everything, but also projections and performers and business. He, he was asking us to do business um, projections and coming up with budgets and things. And I, I was just a college kid. I was like, wait, what, what is this, all this? I, I, I I just wanted to have and design something amazing. Not, not, I, I don't, I don't want to be in spreadsheets, you know, yeah. but all of a sudden I realized that it, that it was going to take that. So when I did my first stadium event, just as a young, like really young person, I, I had this idea, right? I wanted people to dive into the stadium, skydive for out of a plane to dive into the stadium. And while they're diving into the stadium, I wanted to be able to be on stage, talk to the crowd, and then they could talk to us in the air and what? talk back and forth and then have somebody and then have somebody in the audience talk to me on stage back and forth, like one of my correspondents. So I pulled this off. It was the craziest thing. But what I but to get there, 
I also had to have, like, I had to figure out how much I was going to get the money to have insurance to cover the field, the skydivers, the, the it, people needed to go to the bathroom. So there was portable bathrooms I had to figure out how to spend on. And then I had break dancers and big like car competitions and, and skateboard half pipes in there for people to come and all that. All that had details. And this is the key. I realized two main things. Everything that you want to do in a big way and design, it requires a lot of detail behind the scenes to pull it yeah. off. And it requires a lot more people than yourself. And right. so early on, even though I was designing, I was never an individual contributor because I knew to achieve the dream, I had to have the detail and the people to help me pull it off along with the money, <laughs> but I could not do it alone. And to get there, I had to not just design myself, but I had to lead other people on not just my vision, but practically how to execute. So as a early young man, as an, a young man early on in my career, I was already like having to direct people to get things done because I knew I couldn't do it all. And honestly, because I didn't have the skill or I didn't have the time. And so I think that's the key. That was the key for me. And I think that's the key that's carried me along into business management or design management is that you need people and great people and teams of people to pull this off. And you need to be really clear on the vision, the excitement and the passion, but also on the detail. Yeah. So how is that translating into how you do it today? Do you still have the same principles that you base your daily work life on? You know, whether that's the vision, whether that's you know, people, all of that. Is that, that, is that translating 20, 25 years later? Yeah, I mean, I think, look, I mean, let's, I mean, maybe I could just share a little bit about what's going on here in our company, sure. because then I can maybe answer that question in a, in a broader sense. But absolutely, I mean, just in a simple way, the answer is yes. It is a daily occurrence of a blend between vision and passion and design, uh, even aesthetic and education even, and the detail and the operations and the means to be able to get all that done. And again, you can't and I can't achieve what I believe we need to achieve as a company or as even a design leader without all these amazing people around me and making sure that we cover off on all of these little details. And it's why design ops has become so important in what we do, but there's so many other aspects to that. So just to give you a little bit of context of what I mean and what, what we're doing and why. Um, the, the company I work for, BP, um, which is, as you know, a global Fortune 10 company, one of the largest companies in the world. Time Magazine called this company in a category of uh, the 100 most influential companies, I think of, uh, I think it was 2020 or so. There was a category called Titans. And in there, I believe, was Amazon and Netflix and all these other companies, but, but also our company, BP. And it, and it got me thinking how big a company like this and companies like this are. And so they reached out to me at the end of 2019 via LinkedIn of all places and said, Hey, what, you know, um, would you be interested in chatting with us? We have a unique opportunity and, uh, we'd love to talk to you about it. We see what you're doing out there in the world in design and leadership, and we'd love to talk to you. So I was intrigued, surprised, uh, but my father had been in the oil business for 50 years. And so I knew that there was these really brilliant minds and really amazing people doing some incredible things. And so I listened to what they had to say. And it was extremely uh, in, uh, interesting because they were, they had all these um, cool things going on. They have AR and VR and AI and robotic dogs walking around and 
fleets of drones and you've got like robots going up walls and through pipes and underwater and all these really interesting things and technology sake. But remember I told you my journey along the way had been very much about helping companies and organizations and groups figure out how to connect with people, right? How do you get that real true human connection, that, that human experience? And turns out BP was no different. And they had all this technology and they were on embarking on this new digital transformation. But sometimes the center or the centering on a human can get lost. So, so when I jumped into the mix, I said, look, let's bring human experience design here, which Brian Pagan says uh, that it's, you know, combines UX, CX, and, um, you know, the user experience, the customer experience, and the st stakeholders, right? And that makes up this full human experience. But what I realized was that I was the first design leader for user experience and digital in BP's 100 plus year history. Right. And, um, and my task ahead of me was to codify design for the first time in BP. And when I looked across the landscape, there were lots of designs, but not, we weren't doing design, big design, yeah. and, and big design in a way that could bring big change. And so I was excited to go on that mission and set out to really establish human experience design in BP. This is going to lead to the answer. I think that you're asking about how do we do that every day. But one of the things I, I realized um, and got excited about early on was, I think it was my second week, I was in London, and it was February of 2020, pre-pandemic, pre-COVID, right. or at least as we knew it. And our CEO at the time, he had just stepped into his new role had announced that BP would be shifting and changing, reinventing itself. And we would be marching toward net zero by 2050. And there were five aims to help our company get there and five aims to help the world get there. Now, since then we've you know added more, but I remember feeling this, this overwhelming sense of excitement and gratitude. I went back to my hotel that evening and realized that I had and we as a company had been given a gift, a gift to help a company that was an international oil company become not just an integrated energy company, which is what's happening in IEC. So going from an IOC to an IEC, but a company that actually could make an impact on the world. And I could actually blend not just doing design to help humans, which is much needed in this company and, and around the world, but also our planet and that we could reimagine energy. And so we talk about how we are harnessing human experience design to reimagine energy for people and planet. And, and not just by words, but by deeds. And there's lots of that going on and how we design uh, for that. Uh, but the reason I tell you all that is because at a company or a Titan like this, design is massive. And so the scale is huge. And so you ask the question, how has those principles carried on into your daily life here in the company you're with? So to give you an idea of that, scale. There's over 200,000 interfaces that we know of. Um, we are building one of the largest design systems in the world and an amazing person with me who I couldn't do it alone. Uh, his name is Gerald. He is one of the best at this, right? 60 plus design systems under his belt. He's deep in the weeds of making this happen, but we onboarded 470 plus designers to that design system in 11 months last year. Wow. 600 to 800 designers churned through here last year. And the reason I'm saying that is because the scale of the amount of designers that came through, we needed to have an operations, uh, which uh, our head of operations, a design ops is another amazing person. His name is Richard, and he's doing a great job of trying to figure out how to make all of this work on a detailed level for scale. So we have yeah. B2B, 
design in B2C. Uh, so for instance, in B2B, it could be a myriad of things. We work with lots of other companies from Uber to Amazon to, I mean, you can see these in the news. We have all sorts of kind of partnerships with organizations. Obviously we have our own entities and own companies that are business to business. And then of course we have B2C, right? And all the things that we do in that aspect, uh, from EV charging to, to all of our consumer offerings as well. And then, you know, the bigger things for consumers that people don't know behind the scenes, the wind farms, the solar, all those things. But what's interesting is it's also B to N, which I call business to nations. So helping whole entire governments potentially or cities become sustainable in the future, like like maybe the initiative that you've seen that we started with um, Aberdeen with the hydrogen hub uh, to, to enterprise software. So all the internal software and the employee experience and all of those things, which is quite massive. And so the reason I tell you all that is because the only way to achieve and accomplish design and transformation and to move into more of a design-led orientation of how we do things to put people and planet first, we have to be um, really conscious that we can't do it alone. We need a lot of people to help us, including the community of design that's not even with us internally, but they are rallying us to help us change this company to make this difference in the world, but also the details and that operation. So every day we are um, thinking through, and I'm thinking through all those details uh, on a small scale, like uh, individually, what's happening? How do we get this? How do we move this? How can we accomplish this? But it's all tethered to that larger vision that we have of how to embed best practice of human experience design and and reimagine how we do this for people and planet and tethered to our aims as a company, right? And there's a lot of business outcomes that those aims are tethered to, as well as outcomes that we know that will benefit not just our generation, but generations to come when we're no longer here for our planet. So I know I talked a long time, so forgive me for that, Christian, but I, I wanted to just give that bigger picture because that question that you asked is not, it's not, a, it's not just a cut and dry answer other than the answer is yes, but there's so much more that goes behind that of why yeah. it's so important to have your, your understanding of uh, the vision, the people that actually can help make it happen, the talent and the details that have to go along with that. And so if I look back to that college class and go all the way back to what that man uh, and that wonderful professor asked, what is your dream? And then he said, now do it. I had no idea that I would be doing that years later in the same manner that he taught us back then. Yeah. That's, that's a nice way to loop it back to your college professor. He'd be proud. <laughs> you told me, you told us about, uh, you know, being the first design director in BP's history. And I want to draw a bit of a parallel to the, if I'm not mistaken, the first design director in BG's history, British Gas, with whom I had a absolute pleasure of, of working with. And a lot of the work he was doing, obviously BG is not as, as big as, as BP, but still quite a large organization with a lot of clients. And a lot of the work that he was doing at that high level was about framing design and advocating for design in front of people who didn't really know what design was doing and in front of people who are still thinking that design is just a matter of making things look good. And he was doing that through a lot of these frameworks, through a lot of bringing numbers, through a lot of even bringing some of these directors who've never had, who've never spoken to one single customer, bringing them to, to testing sessions and things like that on the ground to see, they, they got to see what design really was doing. So I'm wondering in an even larger organization that you're working for, how are you talking about design and how are you advocating 
that, that the work that design can do in front of all those um, massive C-level stakeholders? Yeah, no, I think it's a great question. And, I, you know, I think once, so, so there's a part of, um, of this that is so massive, it can be overwhelming, right? The scale is so big. Yeah. And, and when you talk about a Titan company, I kind of refer to it just in my head as, as kind of Titan design, because you know that it, there's so much that has to get done and it's going to affect the world. I remember I was talking to a cousin of mine on my mom's side, we're Hispanic. And, and so my cousin was living in South America and she was saying, oh, uh, you work for BP. That's so exciting. You know, BP built my village many years ago or her town or whatever. And you realize that these companies that are out there like these big ones are, they're making massive global change. We all want them to do good and, and make this difference. And I think that's the journey we're on and getting an impact. So there's that big vision. But to your point, how do you tether that to the daily stuff? But also how, how <laughs> the interesting thing is the question is like that you asked, like, how do you get that done? And I mentioned people are a big part of that. And, and I mentioned it's about, you know, the talent and the people around us and around me to help that make that happen. But it's also equally important to have your stakeholders and leaders and your organization come along with you. Yeah. And that's not always easy. And so we talk about human experience design, as I mentioned, about being um, UX, CX, but also EX, right? The employee experience or the enterprise experience, or even what we call StakeX, stakeholder experience. And that stakeholder experience needs to be just as delightful and just as informative and just as clear as it is for your external customers and so forth. And when we talk about stakeholders, they're the people that we work with in different products and projects, um, which are, are massive, but it's also our leaders, right? And to your point, I mean, the first question I got when I came here from a lot of people that were in executive roles was, well, well what, what, what do you mean by design? You know, welcome, welcome yeah. but what do, you, what do you mean by design? And, and, and then when I answered that and helped them understand what this means, and it's not just about UI and pixels, but it's about the user experience. And it's not just about the user experience, but it's about the whole service design and how it all ties together and that end-to-end -end journey and that storyboarding that we talked about, which, which um, could be also called story framing, right? Instead of just wireframing, how do you story frame this, right? And and how do we elevate that? And and I think they got it right. But then they're like, well, what do you, what? Do you, so so now that we know what design is, what what do you what is design in BP? And then had to bring them along that journey. And for a while, it seemed to be an intangible thing for people to grasp, right? And we learned, or I learned, how to. And and thinking back again, going back to that professor. Um, wait a minute, this is also about the business value and the numbers, just as is it about the impact and the experience. And so, so to give you an example of how people started understanding it better and how we started articulating it better is something that goes like this. Uh, so in one of our areas of business, there's over 1400 types of applications. Now we have many, many, many more than that. I mean, it's, it's, it's massive. Okay. But just imagine just this one area. And what we found in, if you take one of those applications of the 1400, right, and I'm just kind of rounding the number, we found that there were 3,500 users and people, right, humans using this program. And the user experience was quite poor. As a matter of fact, it was taking quite a bit of time for people to get through several key user journeys, key navigational elements to be able to get to a certain outcome. And so if you take 3,500 employees at an average $50,000 salary, 
with 1920 working hours and you work out the math of how long it's taking for people to get through that journey it looked like it was costing the company around 16 million dollars now i'm just no. you know i'm just giving you a rough um yeah, example yeah, right sure. um not not trying to give you actual numbers, but just an example. So 3,500 employees, average $50,000 salary, 1,920 working hours, and it's costing the company $16 million in lost time and, and a myriad of other things. We took that as an approach. We began to change some of the user journeys. And actually, it was one of our designers that came up with this amazing formula that was with us. And uh, when we looked at it, we actually realized that we're saving the company about $6 million by applying better user experience. So right. if we were to take that same pattern and apply it to a myriad of other apps in that particular area, not all could use it, but let's say a hundred of those 1400, could you see that it could become $600 million savings and so forth, right? Now, yeah. I know it's a stretch and I know we're kind of, you know, using kind of fuzzy math here, but the point is, is that there are ways to be able to tether the impact that we have of design back to the value we can bring in numbers that can be shown through what we can save people internally or save our customers in time spent or time lost and so forth. Simultaneously, we can also look at numbers that we could achieve and finance that we could achieve by making um, changes in the user experience to be better for customers that in turn allow them to purchase more or engage with us more or what have you. Um, now, we also know that value isn't just tethered to numbers. And so there are a myriad of other metrics and things that we've looked at to also quantify. And we can also say that, well, even with that save time, it also is reduced time on screen. And so therefore there could be a CO2 savings as well. So, so there's a myriad of things that we can look at to bring value. And when you start showing this to stakeholders and leaders who think that way anyway, from a business perspective, it starts to show that there is a real tangible impact that. UX and design can bring to a daily business uh, mode of operation, as well as elevating the experience of people internally and externally. Yeah. I love the fact that you brought the conversation to this value framework, because I assume that at, at that level that you're working at, these numbers and being able to quantify design is very important to be able to get buy-in from all the other stakeholders to continue investing in design. What I'd like to know a bit more around is more on the ground, the actual designers doing this work. How do you empower them to always make sure that there is some sort of a quantifiable impact to their work? Because let's be honest, design education doesn't teach that. We're not really talking too much about it as an industry where we're still kind of in that gray area of a lot of people and a lot of other stakeholders not really understanding what design does. So on a daily basis, is there anything that you or your team are trying to do to make sure that every single little effort you do in design is quantified in a way or another? Yeah, so that's a great question. I think it's important to just be as, as transparent as possible to say that, look, you know, we, this is all brand new for our company. Um, design is new here, even though 100 plus years and design has been here, but not in this way, not in a codified manner, not big design, right? And even brand yeah. has done stuff. And there have been great brand leaders for brand design. But, but as it relates to digital and user experience and what we're doing, it's all new. And so we're still to be honest, figuring this out, right? Trying to figure out how to quantify this and, and actually show value. And we can't do it alone, right? We need to do it together and we need help on a daily basis. And the other part of that message is the fact that 
you know, a lot of times we have designers jumping in the mix of products and projects that they weren't brought in at the beginning. So they're coming in in the middle of course. or very, or, or sometimes they're at the end, just putting a, a layer of UI on, which is not where we want to be. Things are shifting now, right? We're starting to see people um, really dive into the way that we want to do design thinking and, and getting early on in the equation and being more upfront in how we approach things from service design and research and really getting to understand our customers and our users' needs and pain points before we actually design. So I think there's we're on a journey here. We don't have the exact formula to do it right, but we do have a value framework that we've created. We do have a way to say, if we start something, uh, look, here's what we can do from elevating the experience to what we can save, what we can um, maybe achieve or or how we can grow the company. And then here's here's maybe even the, the uh, some other lenses like around CO2 and things like that. But But is it always the case where we get to start at the beginning? I, it's it's not. The reality is that, you know, it's sometimes we're getting pulled in everywhere in between. So how do you do it in that world? And that's where you have to continue to, to help educate our stakeholders and help educate our leaders and even, even our partners and people around us to say, let's go back and have more iteration of hearing back from our customers. Let's hear back from our users. Let's be able to get that data point and, and continue to look at those data points. So a lot of the data that we need at the beginning may not be there, but if we can get it throughout the product to project, then that's something that I think is important. If we can get the data upfront, if we can get the research upfront, if we can look ahead to say, this is what we're trying to achieve. This is how we will measure together. Here's the KPIs or the OKRs and all those things. Then we can actually see what we've achieved. So there are moments when we're doing that. There are awesome examples of how we've done that. Some of I just mentioned, but but it always doesn't happen right up at the front. But like I said, as we're growing and evolving as an org and as a discipline, and as we're evolving as a company, we're getting better at that over and over every day. I, I think some of it though is also going to be realized in time. So take the design system, for instance. One of the most powerful things that some companies can do, what we believe that we could do to be able to achieve um, reusability, circularity, allow for designs to be able to be picked up in a way that can can be leveraged across all of our apps and services and areas. And obviously there's a time savings, a speed to market. I mean, our design system is also designed and coded in basic code, including React. So we know that it can help developers as well. And it's that cross-section and bridge. Our design engineering group is just as important as our design ops group, right? As well as all of our other sub-disciplines of design from research to service design, to product design, to content design and on. And even, you know, all the things that we look at as, as we look at business design. But what we've realized is that these things take time, things at that scale to understand the efficiencies and gains that you're going to get. You can predict, you can forecast, you can put a formula to it, but sometimes it's just going to take some time to be able to fully realize it. So we know that. Thankfully, we have leaders and a company that believes in us enough to know that we are marching toward the right path. They get it. They're ready to see how it's going to materialize. There are other things that we can show today where we've saved millions of dollars. And then there are times, but we know that in the future, some of these things could save hundreds of millions of dollars. And not only that, but make a better experience for our customers and our users, even internally and externally, but also make a difference for the future of, uh, of our planet. So, so that's kind of where I believe we are trying to learn, right? This is a journey, but also do at the same time. I want to highlight something that you've mentioned a couple of times already, which I think is actually one of the more important parts of what you just said, which is this changing, changing organizations takes time. 
the larger they are, the more time it takes. And I feel that sometimes, especially maybe younger people join organizations and then things are not necessarily going according to their plans and they want to implement change, but they don't realize that change doesn't happen overnight. Change takes time. And you said earlier, you're you know, fortunate enough to have leaders who believe in you and who are willing to give you the time to make that change. But that's not always the case. The leaders don't always buy into design straight away. And I find, and, and I'd be curious to hear if you agree with this, that if you're able as a designer to build trust with everyone in your organization, trust in you as a person, but also trust in your design process and the powers of design, then you're much more likely to get a longer runway to be allowed to make those changes, as well as more, let's say, more um, more confidence from the people around you that whatever you're going to do is going to work because you've built that trust. So how, how do you find that concept of trust? How important is it? And how do you build that with, with everyone in a company? Yeah. So no, I think, I think you're hitting on something that's really, really, really important. And you mentioned like, you know, young designers or designers in general, we're, we're on a huge hiring spree. We want to bring as, as, as much great talent to BP as possible. And so that we can make this change and do that. And a lot of times when people come here, they are used to a certain lifestyle uh, or work lifestyle where they're, they're on a quick sprint basis and things are, they're happening really fast. And, and th that does happen here too. Again, we have some people ask me like, what kind of design do you do at BP? I'm like, <laughs> what, what kind of design don't we do here it's just so right. massive right it's it's one day you could be working on something for ev or you could be working on something for shipping or finance and then next thing you know you're working on something for like i said ar vrs or even humanizing the way we do autonomous robotics and things so it's very very wide ranging and sometimes it's really fast and sometimes though when we look at the change that we've got to make it's a marathon and you have to build relationships like like you said and what i found is that some people could be the best designer in the world and come here, but if they don't know how to build that relationship and have that great stakeholder experience as much as they can have a great user experience, yeah. th they, they may not be as successful in their Will they be successful? Sure. But will they be as successful as they could be, right? Those stakeholders are the gatekeeper of our designs. They could approve them or deny them. And, and, and that relationship, like you said, really tethers to trust, right? And so that good stake X, if you have really good stake X and your design isn't as great, you can go very far. Now, it'd be great if both of them are there, but sometimes it's okay, right? Not um, As long as we can make sure that we are building that trust and growing. And, and I think what's interesting too, is to kind of go back to some of our, the tenets of what we believe, because at, at the end of the day, human experience design is really about building that trust, right? And I think with stakeholders, one, one, of, the, one of the biggest things that we find is if they, if they don't trust us, we're not going to achieve where, where we want to get, right? And I think one of the, uh, one of the things I talk about a lot of times is, the four C's that I kind of discovered through some research and stuff around what makes us human. And those four C's are that humans, what separates us from AI and other, other um, things on the planet is that we are cultural, right? So humans, we communicate using, you know, our, our written and oral language and ideas and knowledge and practices. And, and it's our culture that makes us unique, right? We're innately curious, right? So uh, we are always exploring and have a desire for, and we're full of wonder, just like if you think about me as a kid with the movies and all of that, I mean, all of that 
is what I was curious about to, to bring along. And we're seeking those new experiences and how we can change our lives and the lives of others. And that's, that's a separation. We're also creative, right? So we can use our imagination to create something new in the world. And it's something very unique to us. And we can constantly seek to, you know, make new things that set apart from other creatures and so forth. But the last piece of that, the, of the, of the four C's, cultural, curious, creative is compassion. And being compassionate, we are um, driven by the need at, in our very core to understand others, hopefully. And that empathy is what connects us there. And compassion, and this is tying it back to what you said, believe it or not, compassion equals trust. So right. the very thing to be able to get to trust that our stakeholders will believe in us and want to be a part of what we do. And we're bringing them along the journey tethers back to how much compassion or empathy we have for them as much as we have for our users and customers. That is the key. And truly, if we can dial that in and double down on that compassion, that will equal trust and trust as we know, will really elevate us as a company, as a brand and what you do as a designer. Yeah. I want to add a, a practical way to build that or to show that compassion. I don't remember exactly where this comes from, but, or maybe I've read an article where they were talking about doing this, but whenever I join a new, a new company, the first thing that I do is I make a list of all the stakeholders that I will be working with quite often. And then I go on a 15 minute call and ask them questions, but the questions are mostly about them. What can I as a designer do to make your life easier? What's important to you? What has the previous designer done that you would have wanted to be done differently? It's not about me. The call is not about me. I mean, they can ask questions that they want to, but it's mostly about me trying to understand how can I fit into the, how, if I'm a puzzle piece, do I fit into and how can I fit into this puzzle piece that I've just joined? And I think what that does is straight off the bat creates trust because you're, you're not just a guy who joins and comes in like a raging bull and wants to change everything you're coming in and first listening to the needs of everyone else. So that's a practical example of how you can actually do something like this, build that trust and, um, and show compassion and empathy for um, stakeholders as much as you do for users. Yeah, it really does come down to, to be all about people, you know, at the end of the day, yeah. right? That's kind yeah. of what we're here for. Yeah, uh, Roger, I know we do not have a lot of time. So um, I'd like to ask you the two questions that uh, that I usually ask at the end of the podcast. Every guest uh, gets these. So the first one is, what is one soft skill, soft skill that you wish more designers would possess? Well, I mean, I think we've talked about it, right? Like, how can we really build trust and how can you have really good communication with stakeholders? At the end of the day, can you treat them as much as and care for them as much as you care for your, your external customers and the designs that you're doing? Um, can you elevate and delight them just as much as you delight your customers? That soft skill comes in, in uh, just you know, thinking about the details, following up answering those emails, making sure that you don't let things wait in your inbox. You know, I know we're busy designing and doing those things, but, but we need to respond to people. We need to care for them. Let's put them and people above our designs and then our designs will elevate above to, to impact people. Right. So it's kind of this circular concept there. So I, I think that's really important. Yeah. And, uh, what's one piece of advice that has changed your career for the better? Well, it's funny you say change your career because I think that's the very thing. So I think. You know, early on, the advice I got was embrace change. So embrace the messy. And I, I, I like to refer to it as when you look at a chrysalis, right, or a cocoon, um, you know, something's going into, you know, that going into that cocoon and it weaves this thing and it's very dark. There's lots of, there's this moment in that, that, 
you know, that life that is very violent, right? Lots of reactions. There's lots of changes happening. There's true elements that are just really struggling. And there's a big struggle there, right? And it's messy and it's, it's tough. It's not easy. And, it's, and, and it seems like there's no way out. But then all of a sudden, there's a way to break through and break free. And all the stuff that happened inside that chrysalis shows that something has been completely created brand new. And if you look at a lot of times companies call things a digital transformation, and even our company, we're going through that or what I like to call a digital awakening. But but I like to call it also a digital metamorphosis. The basic definition of transformation is going from one thing to another. The definition of metamorphosis is going from one thing to something completely different. And it's not just something along the same path, but it's something completely different. And it really is messy and tough sometimes to get there. There's a lot of ambiguity. But if if we can embrace that, and that was what I learned is that sometimes it's inevitable that those moments are going to come, those times are going to come. To get to that vision, to achieve that vision, to achieve that outcome, right? It takes people, it takes details, it takes time, all those themes that we just mentioned. But it also has to be understood that there is a period where it's going to be dark, it's going to be tough, it's going to be a struggle, but that's part of the process. And if you embrace that change, if you embrace that messiness, if you embrace that struggle, then you can see what you that true metamorphosis that you were hoping to become or what you were hoping to make an impact. The, the quote I got that I lived by years ago was change is the only hope we have. And now, now the, this, this quote came from my, the guy that was cutting my hair uh, years ago. So I thought maybe he was making, <laughs> he may have been making fun of my hair. I don't know, but, but I still took it personally as something for life. So change is the only hope we have. And I think that was what I learned years ago. And, and, and it's not easy to put in practice. I'm not always still good at it, but if you can embrace the messy, embrace the struggle, embrace the change, then you can truly see the transformation or, or really metamorphosis that you're, you are envisioning for your life and for your company. I love that. It's so great. Roger, we're nearing the end. Where can people find out more about you? Where can they get in touch with you if they have any questions? And I also know you said earlier you're hiring. So where can people go if they're interested in that? Yeah, yeah, we're hiring. So uh, super excited. Yeah, they can find me on LinkedIn. Um, you know, obviously, Roger Rahatke, uh, if you want to search me on LinkedIn, uh, you know, obviously reach out and apply directly on our site at bp.com. There's there's ways to apply. But if you uh, ping me directly, message me on LinkedIn, I'll direct you to the right person. And, and maybe we can also have a conversation too. So Amazing. We'll uh, make it easy for people to find all these links uh, in the show notes. So um, Roger, once again, thank you very much for being part of the Design Meets Business journey. This has been a great conversation. And honestly, I don't know when the hour has passed. So I'm wondering whether maybe it'll be time to bring you on a further season to talk even more. So uh, yeah, thanks again for this conversation. It's been awesome. Yeah, likewise, Christian, I'd be honored to come back. And I'm so privileged and thankful and grateful that you had me here today. So thank you so much. Yeah, we'll speak soon. Bye, Roger. That's a wrap for today. I hope you found this episode useful and that you've learned something that you're ready to implement at work tomorrow. If you've enjoyed this, as always, it would mean the world to me if you'd share it with your community, if you'd leave a review, and of course, if you'd remember to tune in for the next one. Peace.